Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. So I want to give you, as we start today, I want to give you some sentences, and I'm going to let you finish them out loud, okay? So um, don't leave me hanging. Here we go. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Uh, You reap what you, yeah, what you sow, absolutely. Here's the next one. It's a simple idea that what goes around comes around. Yep, what goes around comes around. And then here's the last one. You get what's coming to you. Yeah, you get what's coming to you. You get what's coming your way. See, we all think life works this way. We think life should work this way. We expect life to work this way moving forward, don't we? Which is why when Jesus showed up on this earth, he introduced this dynamic that quite honestly is a bit unsettling. Uh, It's a little bit disturbing. It was something that just made everybody's head spin and it still makes our head spin today because Jesus showed up and said, yes, this is the way life typically works. The world's set up where you reap what you sow and you you get what's coming to you, except every now and then people don't get what's coming to them. Every now and then, we don't reap everything that we sow. Jesus taught that every now and then, instead of all that, there is this unusual dynamic that happens where we get grace. Now, for the point of our conversation today, grace is simply the unearned, undeserved, unconditional love of God. Grace is this idea that I can be forgiven no matter what I've done, that I am loved no matter who I am. Grace is this idea that my value comes not from what I do, but from whose I am. Grace is this idea that, honestly, I think all of us crave it when we need it most, and yet we resist it when we need to give it to other people. And yet, even though it's offered us freely by God, isn't there something in all of us that when we come up against the grace of God, we find ourselves sometimes resisting, which is so odd, so strange, because you know, it, it feels like it'd be something that everybody would want to embrace, but we don't. And I think part of the reason we don't is for some of us, we don't feel like we deserve it. For others of us, we don't think that we need it. But Jesus said it was the only hope that any of us have. So today we're wrapping up this series we've been in the last three weeks where we've been trying to answer this question, what is God really like? And the reason your answer to this question is so important is because how you view God, whether you believe in him, don't believe in him, whatever picture you have of God, It shapes your perspective on life. It defines your values in life. It determines your perspective um, in terms of how you look at situations and how you handle things. This really does shape way more than we realize. It's so hard for us to get life right if we've gotten God wrong. And I think, and I'm making an assumption here, but I think if we were honest, most of us would be like most people in this world and certainly like most people in our culture today, We have gotten God wrong because we assume our relationship with him is based on our behavior. In other words, there's just an assumption that, well, the better I am, and you fill in the blank for how you define better, the more moral, the more religious, you know, the more quote-unquote godly, the better I am, the more God's going to love me, the better I am, the closer God's going to be to me, the better I am, the more God's going to care about me. And yet when Jesus showed up on earth, he turned all of that upside down. It was the common assumption in the first century that, well, yeah, of course. I mean, the better you live and the better you are and the more religious you are, 
well, clearly you're better connected to God and clearly he cares about you a little more than everybody else. And the same thing's true today. We look at it and we think, well, yeah, if God's here at the top, well, religious leaders, you know, pastors and priests, they've got to be closest and church people, they've got to be pretty close too. And then you get down here at the bottom, people, you know, maybe good people, but they're not in church. And then you got the people who are just, you know, they've lived such immoral lifestyles. So there's just an assumption that, yeah, those people at the bottom, God can't care about them quite as much as the rest of us. Because, again, the, the better I am, the more God loves me. So he's, he's got to love the people at the top of the ladder a little more than the people at the bottom. This is what everybody in Jesus' world assumed. This is the way the system had been set up. This is what they had been taught. It wasn't just a basic assumption. They had been taught this by their religious leaders. Well, this is how it works. And so it threw everybody for a loop when Jesus shows up. And he begins to spend so much time around people who are at the bottom of the ladder. He'd spend more time with them than people at the top. He'd show up at their houses and, you know, have dinner. He'd go to their parties. You know, he, they were always around him. He was always around them. It was so odd. People who were nothing like Jesus actually liked them. And to the surprise of the people who thought they were at the top of the ladder, Jesus liked these people at the bottom right back. So they couldn't wrap their heads around it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. It was almost as if the way Jesus acted, that he had flipped the ladder upside down. This is how he was behaving. And so when some of you can understand this, some of you can relate to this, some of you have had these feelings yourself. If you're at the bottom of the ladder and you think you were at the top of the ladder, but now all of a sudden you think, well, Jesus seems to care about these people here just as much as he does us, it creates tension. This is the tension of grace, isn't it? This is the tension of, well, yeah, I'd love for everybody to have grace until they're not getting what they deserve. And I don't think they deserve that. It feels like it's cutting in on what I should get. So one day, Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people who are made up of all four of these groups. But there are so many of these now top-of-the-ladder people who are gathering around that the bottom-of-the-ladder people just begin to mutter, complain, to critique. I mean, they're, just, they're frustrated. They can't figure it out. And so, as we've talked about throughout this series, what Jesus decided to do was to tell three stories, one right after another, right after another, to clear up the confusion for all of us about what God was like. But particularly, he wanted to clear up the confusion for all of us who think we're at the top of the ladder when maybe we're actually at the bottom. And they're all found in Luke 15. You can read them for yourself, but we've looked at part of the third story over the last couple of weeks. And I'll just recap it if you hadn't been here or you slept since then, okay? So let me, let me get us all up to speed. Jesus says, all right, I want to try to help you understand what God is like. So I'll tell this story where somebody represents God. That's the father in the story. And somebody represents you. And the story basically went like this. Jesus said, all right, there's this dad. He had two sons. And the younger one goes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now, which was code for, I just wish you were dead. I don't care about our relationship. I just want what I can get out of you. So give me my inheritance and let me go. It was so insulting. He was just trying to get his freedom, though. He felt like he, you know, he didn't want to be under the supervision, under the authority, under the protection or provision of his father anymore. He wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, however he wanted to do it. And to the surprise of everybody listening to this story, Jesus says, the Jewish father says to him, all right. And so he divides up the inheritance the way first century Jews did it. He gave his older son two-thirds of the inheritance. He gave his younger son a third. He just gave it all away, everything he had. 
And then the younger son does exactly what you would think. He goes to, you know, enjoy his freedom and he takes off and he spends it all partying, spends it all according to Jesus on wild living. And about the time he runs out of money, a severe famine hits the land. Consequences show up, circumstances show up that he just did not expect and did not plan. And so Jesus says at that point, you know, he's close to rock bottom and so he can't find anybody to help him. He eventually gets a job feeding pigs, which if you were Jewish was like, oh, that is rock bottom. You know, it's the worst of the worst. And Jesus says he's so hungry that even the pig slop looks good to him. At which point he begins to reflect on his life. And some of us have been here, haven't we? He begins to reflect on his life and he realizes, I have made some really bad decisions. You know what? I I thought getting out from under my father's supervision was the right way to go. That's how I was going to find freedom. But there's no freedom here where I'm living. The freedom is actually back under my father's supervision and provision because everybody in his household, everybody on the farm, even the hired servants, they've got plenty. And so you remember the younger son comes up with this speech. He decides he's going to go back to his father and tell him, you know, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, I blew it, basically. I know I destroyed this relationship. I don't ever expect us to be able to build it back. But would you just make me a hired servant on the farm? And so once he works up the courage, he humbles himself enough and he takes off and he heads back home. But surprisingly enough, as he's getting close to home, his father sees him, which implies, doesn't it? That the dad has spent a lot of time. He hasn't chased him down. He's honored the son's freedom to do what he wants to do. You know, he's not going to chase him down. But the father's been looking for the son. And when he spots him way down the road, the dad takes off running. And the son starts into the speech, you know, because he's expecting to just catch it from his dad and be turned away. But before he can get his speech done, the dad says, no, no, no. He interrupts and tells his servants, you bring a robe and put it on him. You put sandals on his feet. You put a ring on his hand because... I'm letting him back in the family. He's welcome back. He gets his place back as a son. And then he says, I want you to go kill the fattened calf. Let's have a huge party and celebrate. Why? Because I thought this relationship was dead. But it's not. It's alive again. I thought this son was lost forever. But he's found. It's just this extraordinary picture of compassion. It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it, of grace. But. That part of the story is actually not the point Jesus was trying to make. That part of the story is extraordinary news. For any of you who feel like you fall into one of these top two categories, for any of you who feel like, man, I have blown it, and I have burned bridges with God, or I burned bridges with people, and I don't deserve it, that story's phenomenal. Because Jesus sends the message loud and clear that God is a father who's inviting you to come home, that there's a place still for you. But the reason Jesus told the story wasn't for you. The reason Jesus told the story was actually for all of us. In the bottom two categories of the ladder, who think we're at the top and who think God loves us a little more and we got a little better place and, you know, we're more moral people and so clearly God cares about us more. That's why Jesus introduces not just the story of one son but the story of two. Remember, there's an older brother just like there's a younger one. And the rest of the story goes like this. Meanwhile, Jesus says, the older son was in the field. Of course he was. He's working. He's being responsible. He's doing what he should do where he was supposed to do it. Because that's what older sons do, right? It's being good, being good. And then Jesus says, when he came near the house, so he's at the end of the workday, right? He comes near the house and he heard Post Malone and dancing. That's what he heard. Or pick your favorite artist. So anyway, like, It's not a little party. 
He hears a party thumping so loud. He hears the, you know, everything going on. Like he's a long way off and he hears it. And the older son does exactly what you would think. He pulls out his iPhone and he checks his calendar and he goes, nobody scheduled a party and put it on my calendar. You know, what is going on here? Nobody cleared this with me because, again, you know, He's got two-thirds of the inheritance. You know, everything that's still there at the farm, that's his. And he's like, whoa, whoa, nobody cleared this with me first. So he is all confused. So Jesus says, here's what he does. He called one of his servants, and he asked him what was going on. And he's shocked by what he hears. The servant says to him, servant goes on and says, well, your brother has come. <laughs> to which I think he went, what brother? Not that brother. We canceled that brother. Like, He's done. You know, he shouldn't be coming back ever again. Not that brother. And servant's like, yeah, yeah, that one, that one. I know we hadn't seen him and heard from him forever. He showed back up. To which I think the older brother's going, well, he must have run out of money. That's the only reason he'd show back up, right? He's, he's trying to get something. Your brother has come. And then it gets worse. He says, your father has killed the fattened calf. Now, we can't fully understand or appreciate this. But in first century culture, they, they didn't have any systems by which they could preserve meat for long periods of time so the fattest calf you had the fattest cow you had well that was the most valuable cow you had because it would feed the most people and you wouldn't slaughter that cow unless you were throwing a party of such epic proportions that you could eat all of the meat you know that you were going to serve the entire community so when he hears this he thinks oh my he took the most valuable possession on the farm and he killed it for my brother. And then he threw a party and invited that many people. Your brother's come. He's killed the fattened calf. Because he has him back. Safe and sound. Now, if I ask you how do you think the older, older brother responded to this. I bet you could guess. Especially if you've got a little older brother in you. It was not, oh, I'm so excited, let me join the fun. No. You know, you can, you can tell things about people by their actions, but you can't tell everything. And I'll tell you why, because you know this, sometimes we can fake our actions, can't we? But you know what shows what somebody really values and believes? Their reactions. Because we can't fake reactions. And the reaction of this older brother tells us everything that we need to know about him, and maybe about some of us. Jesus says, the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in to the party. Why would he be so angry? Well, because the younger brother's not getting what he deserved. The younger brother, it feels like he's able to get away with it. Have you ever been frustrated when you watch somebody who made choices that were so terrible and so hurtful and then somebody demonstrated grace to them or something happened to them that was good in such a way. It just made you so mad because it felt like after all they did, they're getting away with it. After all they did, they're not going to have facing consequences. After all they did, they're just getting welcomed back. You know what the older brother had forgotten? Same thing we do. The older brother had forgotten that sin, it always comes prepackaged with a payment. The sin always comes prepackaged with a penalty. See, this younger brother, the choices he had made, they carried consequences. And just because the, because the older brother couldn't see all the consequences didn't mean they weren't there. Now, for some of you, this is going to be really helpful. Because when you see someone or when you see God demonstrate extraordinary, extravagant grace to someone that you don't think deserves it, 
This is why you get so angry. But you forget, grace doesn't erase all the consequences. Grace doesn't erase all the consequences. You can be certain there's a price that they have to pay, just like there's a price that we have to pay. As a matter of fact, and maybe, maybe you grew up with your parents telling you this or a pastor telling you this, you know, if you keep acting that way, if you keep behaving, if you keep doing that, God's going to get you. God doesn't get you. God doesn't have to get you. Sin gets you. Your own choices and consequences get you. And God gives you the freedom to make those choices, but he doesn't erase the consequences. But what he does do is show you grace in the middle of it. And what some of us have a problem with, what some of us haven't understood, is that when we become so judgmental over the grace that others experience, we forget that being judgmental is a sin that invites consequences into our own lives. And so it was easy for the older brother to stand back and to go, I can't believe and he doesn't deserve. What he didn't realize was that his judgmental attitude, his arrogance, his self-righteousness was inviting consequences right into his own life at that very moment. But the father knew. The father knew. And the father did for the older brother exactly what he had been willing to do for the younger one. Jesus says that his father went out when he heard he was out there and he pleaded with him to come back to the party. Why? Because, because the relationship that the dad had with the older son mattered just as much to him as the relationship with the younger son. He was willing to pursue the older son just as much as he was willing to pursue the younger one. And so he went out and he pleaded with him. But it didn't go very well. The older son looks back and answers his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Whoa, I thought this was your dad and you were his son. It's not how it felt to the older son. The older son viewed it as a master-slave relationship. He's going, Dad, I've been doing everything I should be doing around this farm for all these years. Yeah, but I thought you did that because you loved me, son. No, 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 I was doing it out of duty. I was doing it because I felt like I had to to get what I wanted from you. That's why I'm so ticked off right now, Dad. He goes on. He says, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, you didn't reward me. You owe me, Dad. I can't believe you would do that for him. He's done nothing to deserve it. I, I deserve it. You owe me. He goes on. He says, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, did you not know what happened in Vegas, Dad? Because that's what happens in Vegas. It's like, maybe you have forgotten. You kill the fattened calf for him. I can't believe it. Why would you do that? Now, it's really easy for us to read this and go, I can't believe the older son would have that kind of attitude. But come on, for all of us, for all of us who think we're at the top of the ladder, for all of us who think, yeah, I'm a moral, good, godly, religious person, I follow Jesus, I'm a good Christian. For all of us, isn't there a little bit of older brother that pops up in all of us from time to time? Isn't there a little bit of older brother that shows up because when we see somebody experience grace instead of getting what they deserve, it ticks us off makes us angry. Isn't there a little something in all of us sometimes where we feel like we're just a little bit better than some other people? That's why Jesus told this story. 
because he's trying to help all of the religious leaders of his day and all of us who fall into that category today. He's trying to help all of us Jesus followers to understand you're not better than anybody else. You just got to grace first. You're not better than anybody else. You just embrace grace a little sooner. That's why you are where you are. This is what the father communicates to this older son. He looks back at him. The father says, my son, I don't know what you're talking about with this slaving away because I don't know what you're talking about, but I hadn't even given you a young goat because you're always with me. And everything that I have is yours. In other words, the dad looks at him and says, I don't owe you anything because I've already given you everything. It's, it's all yours. What, what do you mean you've been doing all this out of a sense of duty? Not because you love me. I mean, I, I didn't want you to do anything out of duty. As an act of grace, I gave you all of this. He continues. He says, but we had to celebrate. How could you not expect me to be glad because this brother of yours, well, he was dead relationally. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And then, this is genius of Jesus. And then the story ends. And we're all left wondering, what did this older brother do, right? Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you because it's a made-up story and the point's not even the older brother. The point is all of us who have older brother in us. It was Jesus' way of going now. You've got all the truth and you've got a perspective that's healthy. Now, what are you going to do? So, as we wrap this series up, I want to ask all of us two questions that I think will guide us, will encourage us, might tick us off a little bit but will help us get to a much healthier place if we'll wrestle through them. The first question is this. Are you one of these brothers? Let me help you. Yes, you are. You can just decide which one you are, okay? And it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know which brother you are. We, we all have a little bit of one of these brothers in us. The younger son was extraordinarily immoral. The older son was incredibly judgmental. The thing I don't want you to miss is both of them were sinful. Listen, both of them, both of them had missed the value of the relationship with their father. Both of them had. The younger son didn't want a relationship with dad because he thought dad was so oppressive, so he was out of there. The younger son stayed right there, but he didn't value the relationship with his dad because he thought he was just bossing him around and being a master. They both had missed what mattered most to the father. And it was not the work that got done around the farm. It was the relationship between them. Listen, some of you, some of you, you have missed the heart of your heavenly father. You have missed the fact that what God cares about most is a relationship with you. And some of you have missed it by rebelling and running as far as you could run and just ignoring whatever God says. But some of us have missed it just as bad by trying to be good Christian people who does everything that God wants us to do. But we do it out of duty. And we do it because we think we'll get a reward for it. 
We don't do it out of love. We don't do it because of the relationship. We don't do it because we care about God that much. No, no, I'm doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And if I do A, B, and C, then God has to do X, Y, and Z for me. And we act as if God owes us. It is a debt-debtor relationship. And listen, you have to understand, God doesn't owe you anything. He has already given you everything. This is Jesus' way of saying, your heavenly father is there going, you've got me. You've got my presence. I want a relationship with, with you. What more do you need? Everything I have, it's yours. So, you don't have to tell anybody what your answer to this question is. You don't have to be honest with anybody else. But would you be honest with yourself? Let me just ask you. Are you moving away or are you moving toward your heavenly father? If it feels like duty to you to follow God, you're moving away. If it feels like, oh, I've got to do this and be, you know, do all the right things and then maybe things will happen for me in life and be better for me. No, no. If, if that's what it feels like to follow God, you're doing it wrong. The only people who are moving towards their heavenly father are the people who understand that everything you have, everything I have is a gift of grace from a father in heaven who loves us unconditionally. That's how you move towards your heavenly father. You try to earn it. You think you deserve it. It's not grace anymore. You'll never get it. But if you have enough humility to acknowledge, all of us quote-unquote Christians, if we have enough humility to acknowledge, I am no better than the younger sons out there, than the younger daughters out there. I'm no better than the younger brother. My self-righteousness, my arrogance, my pride is just as bad as their rebellion and immorality. The minute we recognize I need grace just as much as they need grace, that's the minute you move towards your heavenly father. But it takes a humility to admit that. And it takes a willingness to accept what God cares about most with you is the relationship with you. And you can't earn a relationship. You can't earn grace. You don't deserve love. He gives it freely as an act of grace. So, what I would invite you to do is simply this. If the younger son, if that's who you relate with, I get it. But you're actually running from a God. This is what I hope you understand. You are running from a God who is not trying to pay you back. He's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to win you back. You're running from a God who has the very thing that you actually crave the most. <laughs> he has unconditional, unlimited, extravagant grace and love for you. But you got to be willing to turn around and come home. And for all of us who've stayed home, and we think we're better because we've stayed home, you want to be closer to your heavenly father, you got to look in the mirror and admit that your judgmental attitude is just as bad as what anybody else has done. And you've got to approach God and pursue God with humility, understanding everything you have, everything I have, it's a gift of grace as well. And we do what we do and we follow the way we follow and we live the way we live, not to try to earn something, 
but because we love our Heavenly Father so much and we are so extraordinarily grateful for the grace He has shown us that it is the least we can do. It's about the relationship. That's what matters most. That is the point of Jesus' story. If you're a Christian, you already got everything. God's done everything for you. He doesn't owe you anything because he has given you everything. His focus is on the relationship. And he wants all of us, no matter where we are on the ladder, to come home. Let's pray together. Father, the truth is, it is hard for some of us to have the humility to admit that. And it's why some of us are resisting it right now. There's just a, a lot of older brother in some of us. But would you help us to have the courage to be humble enough to admit, to acknowledge that we need your grace. Every one of us do. And to value the relationship with you above all else. Help us to understand, not just in our head, but to understand our hearts, that when you look at us, you see sons and daughters who you love unconditionally. And we don't have to run from you. And we don't have to prove our love to you. You just love us. So we want to come back to you and we want to continue to move towards you. And we want to see you for who you really are. Not as a master, but as a father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with friends. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.